Instacart shoppers know groceries. They know that you can't make guacamole with rock-hard avocados. They know how to quickly find those peanut butter pretzels you can never find. And they keep you in the know by giving you updates about your order along the way. Let Instacart shoppers help take shopping off your plate so you can get time and energy back for what really matters. Visit instacart.com or download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum order $10. Additional terms apply. Instacart. Add life to cart. Good morning. Good morning. And welcome to Saturday Mornings with Joy Keys. I'm your host, Joy Keys, and I want to thank you so much for tuning in. You can follow me on Twitter at Joy Keys. Also check me out on Facebook, Saturday Mornings with Joy Keys, and on Instagram, Saturdays with Joy Keys. Also want to let you know we're on Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, and here at Blog Talk Radio. So follow, rate, make comments. All of it is encouraged. This will be a pre-recorded interview with the sisters Maika Mulite and Maritza Mulite, they're authors of a book called One of the Good Ones. Um, Both of them are getting their PhDs, amazing, and then also being authors at the same time. They are natives of Miami and daughters of Haitian immigrants. Maika has a bachelor's in marketing from Florida and an MBA from the University of Miami. And Maritza Mulite is a graduate of University of Florida with a bachelor's in women's studies and a master's in journalism from the University of Southern California. Mike is getting her uh, PhD at Howard University's Communication, Culture, and Media Studies program, and Maritza is getting her PhD at the University of Pennsylvania, and she's exploring ways to improve literacy in under-resourced communities after being inspired to study education from her time as a literacy tutor and a pre-K teacher assistant. I hope you enjoy the interview. Thank you. It knows how your mind works. (laughs) So it's like you're not alone in that space when you're digging in there trying to figure out how to make the story come alive. And for Maritza and I, we're the two oldest of four sisters. Mm -hmm. So the four of us are really tight. And it's like we speak our own language anyway. (laughs) So, (laughs) So writing a story together just makes that happen, but on the page. What were some difficult points? Did you guys have any like conflict about what you wanted to keep or take take out of the book? Mayuka and I have pretty similar, um, I guess, uh, what, what do we call it, Mayuka? We, we just, we, we pretty much really like the same things. <laughs> yeah, we have very similar sensibilities. So we didn't have, especially for this book, much, um, opinion, like differing opinions on what we wanted to happen. But we do have a general rule where if we do have um, opposite ideas of what the next step in the story should be, we will both duke it out and come and like state our cases to each other. And then whoever is most passionate, because there's usually someone who is way more passionate about whatever we're arguing about, that person, (laughs) (laughs) that person will, um, get their way in the story because we figure that is the best thing for the story. So now you guys did not start out as writers. I mean, you know, Maika, um, you have an MBA and you're trying to get your PhD in communications, culture, and media studies programs. And now uh, Maritza still trying to do PhD at UPenn to improve literacy in under-resourced communities. Is that something you're still doing? 
yes, we're first year PhD students right now. So all of that, and then you're, you've written two books. Wow. Like, when do you relax? <laughs> my, my sisters call me the sleepiest girl in the world because I always take naps. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's true. She is the sleepiest girl in the world. <laughs> or she thinks but, she is. <laughs> but, um, you know, you kind of, you make time for the things that you want to make time for, right? So whether that's a relationship, um, family time, writing, going to school, whatever the case may be, if you want to do it, you'll figure out <laughs> how to make the time. Um, but before this, I, yes, I, I got my PhD, um, excuse me, I got my MBA from the University of Miami. And right now I'm currently a PhD student at Howard University. And, um, and in, this, in addition to being a student at Howard, I'm also a, a teaching assistant. So it's, it's, it's a lot, you know, there are definitely times when it, you're like, oh man, what did I, I just said yes to everything at the same time, <laughs> but um, we, you know, we just kind of have to manage our time. So that might mean, you know, some nights I'm up until really late, like it might be 4 a.m., 5 a.m. trying to get something done. And then I know that I'll just like sleep in tomorrow or um, I just manage my time throughout the day. But I think if it's something that's important to you, you'll get it done, especially with writing, mm -hmm. because there are so many times you'll hear folks saying like, um, you know, it took them a really long time to write a book and it's because life gets in the way and sometimes you're busy or if you have children that can be a lot to deal with or if you're working on top of it, but you carve out the times where you can and you don't feel guilty when the inevitable moment comes where you can't, you know, you just kind of make it work. But we've been lucky enough that we've been able to to juggle it all so far. But also... Go ahead. Oh, I, yes. I just wanted to say that it's not like writing is this huge burden that we have to carry on our backs every single day. Like this is a dream that we've had since we were children. So exactly. the fact that we are published authors and have the opportunity to speak to cool people like you and talk about our work is really a dream come true. So it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. So this story is dealing with, well, first it's like starts out with grief. It's dealing with teens, families, you have uh, LGBTQ issues in there, you put racism in there, um, you got sibling rivalry, uh, I mean, so many things. So, so let's start off with the, the first thing of grief. Um, talk about, um, Maika, uh, maybe the grief that your family had gone through that preceded uh, this book. Yeah, so it's such a... And it's like, it's crazy how the world always comes together in a strange way or how you'll, you'll notice connections like this. But for us, when we sat down to write one of the good ones, it was because we wanted to tackle just what it means to be a black woman in America, you know, or a black girl in America specifically, because our book is um, for a young adult audience, but really kind of what, what helped the story come together is that um, a few years ago, we had our great aunt who passed away. Um, she was sick and it was expected because she was an older woman and she had um, cancer. Mm -hmm. So we were kind of like, okay, we love her. And it was so much grief that we went through. And the day of the funeral, we were kind of walking through uh, the mausoleum where she was buried. And we're looking at the names of different people who have passed or on the wall. And one of the names there was Trayvon Martin. Mm. And 
it was really um, a surreal moment because my sisters and I, we remember when that uh, case, if you will, came to be in the national consciousness. And we're from Miami. So, you know, where Trayvon Martin went to school, it was our home school. Like we mm-hmm. didn't live far from that school. Um, at one point he went to uh, one of the schools that one of our sisters went to. And it was very much that the Miami that he grew up in was our Miami, right? And we followed this case closely because of this. You know, he, it felt like somebody that we knew who mm-hmm. was brutalized in this way. And it yeah. just, it, it stuck on us and it stuck with us. And I think we, you know, growing up as a black person in America, you kind of know what it is here, right? Yeah, you know yeah. what it is to be a black person. But um, I would say when Trayvon Martin was murdered, it, it, it opened my eyes in a way that maybe um, I, had, I had been able to kind of not ignore, but kind of push to the side. You're like, you know, this is the black experience. This is what it is to be a black person in America. But this hit so close to home and it just, it, it, it stuck with us. And I remember crying so heavily and I was like, why do they do this to us? Like, you can't even be walking in your own community, mm-hmm. you know, with mm-hmm. a bag of Skittles, minding your business right. before somebody comes to you. It's like, it's crazy. Yeah. So um, it was a combination of us going through our own grief of losing a family member and then seeing his name there and just thinking like that was, that's a family too, that's grieving and must live with this. And not only are they living with this, they're living with it in the public eye and everything they say or do afterwards will be scrutinized. And that, yes. and that, and that really stayed with us. And that kind of um, really was something that we had in the back of our minds as we worked on this story. Did you think about any teens or did you use your sister's the four of you, your relationship, uh, Maritza, uh, and, and put it in the book because there's three sisters in the book. They're not four. Did you, do you guys, are you one of the sisters? Like, you know what I mean? There's like the good one, quote unquote. Yeah. Um, the, and then there's like the, the oddball out. And then there's like the OCD <laughs> sister. Yeah. So I would say that we aren't any of the sisters in this book. Um, and I would, uh, also say that uh, the four of us are pretty close. Like we're very close. We're our own little unit. We like to say that if you're playing charades against us or any other game, we will beat you because <laughs> we all share yes. a grade. You're yeah. going down. You're going down. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Just be prepared for that. Okay. Um, yeah. And um, in the case of Kezi, Happy, and Jenny, uh, there are tensions between the sisters in uh, regards to Kezi and Happy and Jenny and Happy and um, just there is more nuance there in what a sister is and isn't and we wanted to explore something that would be a different experience than what we have but at the same time like no one ever really fully knows another person, um, Mm -hmm. regardless of how close you are. So um, we wanted to explore sisterhood in flux in a way that is very um, uh, thoughtful, like Mm -hmm. happy, especially. She definitely would consider herself the odd one out. And I 
I'm sure that uh, me and my three sisters would also uh, make an argument, depending on the day, that we are the odd one out in our own sister groups. But okay. yeah, but um, it, it's just, it's really hard because I mean, your sisters are just variations of yourself, right? Like that mm -hmm. could have been you, but you're you and they're them. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and we, we wanted to think about it in a different way. And, and because we are so close to our sisters, it was tough to sit down and write about these girls who have lost their sister because no matter how close you are or aren't, um, losing a sibling is just world changing and, and, and life rocking. Um, so it was really hard to write their relationship, but I think that it made me even more mindful about what I have with my own sisters. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I, I, oh, sorry. No, go ahead. <laughs> Yeah, I would I would add that um, relationships aren't static, you know, so they change throughout time. And even for like uh, me, Maritza and our two younger sisters, Jessica and Lydia, the relationship that we had as children is different than the relationship that we have as adults, you know, because mm -hmm. we're all growing and moving and becoming able to grow into ourselves and who we want to be and who we're meant to be. And one of the things that we tackle in this story is just how you as a person, you change throughout time and how those changes impact the siblings around you, who you think you know, who you don't necessarily because of, you know, whether it's rivalry or, um, you know, anxiety or just thinking that you have to live up to this idea of who is a good person, mm -hmm. right? So it's just, we, we kind of wanted to remain true to the sibling relationship. Like, like Maritza said, depending on the day, yeah, you might feel like the odd one out. Then depending on another day, you might be like, oh, no, like, we're fine. It just really depends on who you are and where you are at that particular moment in time. But that relationship doesn't uh, doesn't change. It evolves. And what ends up happening is, like, if you're fortunate enough to be able to grow older with your siblings, you're able to to, to mark those changes. And yeah. in our story, one of the sisters' lives is uh, cut short. So those opportunities for you to grow into your relationship, to see how the person moves, to understand their motivations, especially as you learn things about them, it becomes a totally different experience when one of those siblings isn't around anymore. You know, that's the same thing for if a parent lost a child, because I'm a parent, I have a daughter, and if I lost my daughter, you know, in reading the changes that the mother was going through, you know, at first she was trying to, you know, keep up this strong, you know, out external when she was speaking with audiences about the death of her child in your book. But then, yeah. you know, she, you can see she starts to kind of crack, you know, at a certain point. And, you know, I, I don't know what I would do. Like, I don't know, to be honest. Like if yeah. somebody came to me today and said, your daughter died for whatever reason, you know, it may not be in a protest the way your character did, I still would be, I think I would just first probably be speechless. I don't know. Yeah. I just would be speechless. Um, yeah, no, I'm, you know? I'm sure it's, it's mortifying. And that was really what we wanted to tackle in this story. Or one of the things we wanted to tackle is because when something tragic like that happens, your family is still grieving. And imagine you're grieving in the public eye now. So all of these things that you, those stages of grief that you would be able to cycle through on your own personally, which can be ugly and 
chaotic and whatever it is, messy, whatever it is, as you work through your emotions that you should be able to work through, you're now forced to do that on a public stage over and over and over again. And what does that do to you? And what does it do to you many months after the case too? So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's like five stages of grief, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. And you can see, um, you know, these going on. One of the cool things you do is bring in history of the family and also history of America in, in terms of how America has dealt with racism. Um, you know, one of the stories you bring in is about the uh, grandmother and, uh, I'm sorry, it's the great-grandmother and her fight um, trying to get help for polio. Um, Mike, do you, you want to talk about that a little bit? I'll, I'll toss that one over to Maritza because I was oh, okay. talking a little bit. <laughs> okay, no problem. <laughs> yeah, so something we've realized as we uh, have become writers and authors is that we're really big history buffs, which is fun <laughs> to learn about myself. And um, we used the Negro Voters Green Book as an anchor in this story to uh, guide characters that we have in the past who are connected in various ways to our characters in the present day. Mm -hmm. And um, as you mentioned, one of the characters' mothers in the past had polio and um, something that um, Evelyn wanted to do for her mom is to uh, visit Warm Springs, which is a very uh, popular, important historical area that um, President Franklin Roosevelt used to um, rest and rejuvenate himself because um, back in the day. And uh, that place used to be segregated. Black people were not able to go there. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we wanted to like incorporate things that are important to the history of the country and talk about how um, those contexts would be different to characters in the past who uh, are Black. So the um, Evelyn and her family, they have to get in the car and drive away because their uh, neighborhood is basically about to undergo uh, a, a huge fight between the black and white residents um, of the neighborhood. So they use their green book to um, visit their uh, Evelyn's brother in Georgia. And while they're there, they decide to stop at Warm Springs and they find out, well, Evelyn finds out that they aren't allowed to be there. And she's so upset because her parents voted for Roosevelt and, mm. um, you know, he seemed like such a progressive person who wants to help everyone, but there are still structural um, uh, powers in place that make it very clear that we aren't equal. Like we weren't equal, uh, or we weren't on equal playing fields in the 1930s and we still aren't in 2020. So this book was a great opportunity to learn so much about things that I didn't even know about um, and that I hadn't learned in school. Yeah, I learned, I mean, I, the thing about the Springs, I didn't know about that. You know, you bring up Dred Scott, that I knew about. Um, you, you bring up some other um, places and, and locations. And, and I think it's great, again, just as a book for youth, but amazingly as adult, like I'm learning, I was learning stuff, you know? So I think even adults would appreciate, but definitely for young people, 
having that historical information in there and having the characters like they see it through the character like they're young they can you know relate possibly you know with the characters now you bring in somebody who's not a sister but does have a major uh role in the book um shakiria not shakira shakiria um who's a, a foster care child why did you bring this other character and i'll, I'll uh, ask maika to answer that yes you know, we had to spell out that pronunciation because we knew somebody was going to read it and be like, you know, <laughs> so we're like, yeah, it's Shakiria. <laughs> yes, yes. But you got it. <laughs> but um, we chose, <sighs> how do you explain this? So, okay, okay, I'll, I'll start, I'll think about it this way, or I'll have everybody think about it this way. So as a Black woman, you walk through the world with your identity. You are both black at all times and you are both woman at all times, right? If mm -hmm, you are woman mm -hmm. identifying, yeah. you cannot split those two apart. They are both equally a part of you. Yeah. Now imagine that you have this idea that in order to be a good person, you have to act a certain way. Mm -hmm. And we wanted to show different women different girls in all of their glory whatever yeah. the case may be whether you want to be an actress whether you want to be a historian whether you want to be you know in the sciences whatever the case may be and we wanted to tackle what when people say oh that person is one of the good ones what that means like why is this right. person one of the good ones but so often like when a tragedy happens they get into all of the semantics of the person right especially if it's a mm -hmm. black person if it's a black woman they'll ask like well um you know uh, where did she go to school what was she wearing um how was she, how does she talk what does she look like oh is she ratchet you know it's like all of these things <laughs> to be like right <laughs> it's like all of these things to try to figure out like where does this person rank in our social hierarchy and do they matter and we just wanted to show different characters and allow people to get to know them and understand who they are and their motivations. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was important for us to show different folks because those different intersectionalities that I mentioned, they can't be split apart. You are walking with those identities at all times. And sometimes people ask of you to forget one part of your identity or okay. they'll say like, for instance, um, I'm, I'm trying to think of an example like okay like you know when a, a black male celebrity does something right it's an act of sexual misconduct and then folks will say uh, like if black women speak out and say this person is wrong they should be condemned for this then they'll say oh well white men get away with this why is this okay yeah and yep. they don't understand that as a black woman you have to contend with being black and a woman at all times so no. you carry those identities with you and it's not something that you can be like okay well my blackness is gonna lead today when sometimes maybe it is maybe you make that conscious choice but for us we wanted to show different people fully formed and allow folks to contend with themselves when they're reading stories about someone like Shakira or someone like Kezi or someone like happy and you're like oh this person is good this one is not good why is that like what does that mean to you why mm -hmm. is this person and understanding the different life experiences that the person has whether you grew up having your family around or you didn't whether you have money or you don't like all of these things together shouldn't matter 
if the person has value or not. And if we are going to be, you know, better people and, you know, everyone's always talking about believe black women, like as black women, we need to be able to like step up for one another, like, especially because it seems like nobody else is going to do it for us. <laughs> right. Exactly. So we need to be able to do that. Wow. I mean, her story was just like, well, I don't want to give away. Um, yeah. Yeah. I know Maritz is like, no, spoilers. <laughs> no, I know. I'm like, okay, I'm trying to talk, but basically it's just really complex. And I like how they're just weaved together. Um, and cause I was trying to figure out like, what is the, like, how is she going to get with the sisters and all this, you know, thing. And um, so I think, think it was really beautiful. Um, you, you said that, um, you know, writing wasn't like a burden, but how long did it actually take you to write this book? We actually did a really good thing this time around where we wrote little by little over a course of, gosh, just a, like a few months. What do you think? Like six months, Lika? Yeah, I think about it. Yeah. And I mean, usually we can be really bad about procrastinating, but this time around, I don't know if it was just the story wanting to come out and our outline being so fire, but we wrote diligently um, and, and, and got it done. And I think that having time to really uh, get to know these characters over an extended period of time and um, think about them constantly um, for days and weeks and months really made us understand who they are and what they wanted and what they needed and what we wanted to say with our story. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it, was a, it was a tough experience to, to write about, but I am very proud of what we have come up with. Are you guys PK kids? Oh, yes. We are preacher's kids. What? <laughs> <laughs> yes, so, we are totally preacher's kids. <laughs> so tell the audience about what that, what that means. Um, they may not know. <laughs> yes. So PKs are preacher's kids or sometimes pastor's kids, depending on who you ask. So our dad is uh, a pastor who, who went to uh, theology school, right? Is it theology school? Is that what it's called? Um, but yeah, so we're pastor's kids, and that co that comes with a whole lot of uh, connotation, because mm -hmm. some people will be like, oh, they're pastor's kids, they're going to be wild, they're going to, you know, it's like, well, no, we aren't. <laughs> <laughs> we might have moments, <laughs> but really- You are complex, too. PK exactly, kids are complex, too. <laughs> yes, we're just human beings, you know, and um, you're, you're just human beings, and we, you know, for us, we grew up in the church, we joke around, and we say, like, we went to church like it was our job, like, it was crazy, like, we would go to church, uh, it would be, like, Mondays would be, I don't know, what it could be, like, uh, which is, uh, oh, gosh, like, small groups, like, you mm -hmm. might have different families go to each other's house, and they pray, or they read the Bible that night, Tuesdays might be Bible study, Wednesday, you could get the day off. Then Thursday is like a members meeting. Friday would be uh, like watch night service. And we had watch night service like every week. Every other wow. Saturday could be youth service. We'd have two Sunday services. Like we went to church like it was our job. <laughs> oh my so gosh. We, we definitely um, incorporated that within the story. And, you know, it, going to church, especially like growing up in our families from Haiti, so going to Haitian churches, like it's a very 
you know, it was a very strict and religious upbringing. Like it mm. was just that that's how we were brought up. And then as you get older and as you're growing through the church, depending on you know, the type of person that you are, you might start to push back or consider some of the things that you are learning. And um, that really came to play within this story because that goes kind of go back. It kind of goes back to what I was mentioning earlier about your intersectionality. Like you can't pull any of them out of you. So yeah. imagine if you're growing up in the church and you are black, a woman and queer what that does to you mm -hmm. when you are in these spaces and you're hearing people say certain things like, oh, you know, if you, you're LGBTQ, you're condemned and all of these, all of, all of these other things. And you're growing up hearing that and you're carrying that with you. And it forms your idea of who is a person who should be valued or not. And that is- Well, what did your parents think of that? What did your parents think of you guys writing about that topic? Um, in the yes. Book? They're still reading it right now, um, okay. so we'll find out. <laughs> but, but um, honestly, like especially now as adults, like we have definitely way more agency than we had as children, and we're able to speak about things maybe in a way that we we didn't as children. Mm -hmm. But um, we've <laughs> we're, we've moved our parents along to be more progressive. <laughs> <laughs> so we don't you know we don't have any uh worries about that of course like if you're growing up in the church and you grew up hearing a certain thing that's the way that you frame the world it impacts it impacts you you're just like this is good and this is bad this is right and this is wrong mm -hmm. but then you kind of like pull back the curtains on that and something that we kind of mentioned within the text is like whenever people are condemning um, LGBTQ folks because for whatever reason that you think like, oh yeah, I'm better or, you know, the God is going to punish this. They use Sodom and Gomorrah as the, 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 the anchor for that. But um, within that story, Lot literally offered up his daughters instead. Like, okay, no, don't engage in this quote unquote bad had, um, homosexual act here have my daughters instead so that you can violate them but nobody talks about that part they make it seem like oh mm. sodom and gomorrah got burned to the ground and that was fine it's like okay but what about his daughters that he was offering up literally to be like raped nobody yeah. has any problem with that so yeah. when you grow up in the church you hear these stories and they're from the bible and it helps form who you are but then if you want to critically examine the text, as we are always asked to do as PhD students, yeah. you start to push back a little bit. You're like, okay, well, how do you reconcile that? And a lot of folks can't, or they'll make it seem like, oh, well, what, well, what he did was to save their soul, those men's souls. But what about his daughter's souls? Right. So you kind of, it's an uncomfortable conversation and people aren't always willing to, uh, to contend with that. And right. then sometimes you find out folks real, colors at that point if the person is like oh well you know it was a different time then you're like okay you could say this because you're a woman and you 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 won't you haven't been uh scared to be violated in that way you know mm, so wow. it's it's um it's it's really it, it all comes together in the text and in your own life if you decide to critically examine and it's not to condemn anybody who um grows up and is religious or has faith or is of faith and not at all right. but instead it asks you to truly examine yourself what does that mean when you know what i mean like just just to crit critically think what does that mean so we we hope that as people go through the story it allows them to kind of examine 
their own, uh, you know, maybe shortcomings or examine even some of the things that they are proud about. What are your favorite writers, Maritza? Who's, who's one of your favorite writers? Hmm. Okay, so one of my favorite writers is Evie Zaboy, A and Edward Stanticat. And I'll put them together because I admire both of them because of what they symbolize for me as a Haitian American author, knowing that there are others who came before me who have mm -hmm. been so successful and celebrated, but also very grounded in what they do and showing that there's more than one way to be Haitian, more than one way to be black, a woman, a human on this earth. Yes. Um, and all their works really uh, showcase that in so many fun, dramatic, serious, thought-provoking ways. And I also love Ben Philippe, another Haitian author, because he is so funny on the mm. internet, but also in his books. And okay. I, I wish that I was that funny. And I love reading books that make me laugh and, and feel happy. And um, I actually was going through a period of, uh, what are they calling it? Like a writing uh, or reading slump. Um, mm -hmm. in this period of uh, self-isolation and quarantining. And it was only until I read um, The Worst Best Man by Mia Sosa that I was able to come out of my shell um, and, and finally start reading again. So I've been going through a lot of Alyssa Cole's work. Um, I just finished How to Catch a Queen and I love romance novels, and I used to read them a lot as a kid. Like, I, yeah, I, I mean, we would just steal them from our mom. She had so many, and she was into, like, the cowboy covers, but um, I uh, transitioned and was more gravitated, uh, or I gravitated more toward the, like, Regency era books. Okay. Um, yeah, and now I'm in this, like, contemporary phase of, like, what's going on in the real world. So, um, yeah, I, I, those are, those are some of the authors that I am really into. And how about you, Micah? Oh, my God, Marissa brought me back when she said Regency era books. Like, oh, it was like, you know, the Dukes <laughs> and Duchesses. Yes, we used to sneak those books around. We had no business reading them, honestly. We were like <laughs> mm -hmm, <laughs> middle school mm -hmm. and high school. What? I remember middle school? Uh, yes, yes, like all of the, uh, we had like a quote unquote book club where basically the whole purpose of the book club was to find the dirtiest romance novels so that we could all read the sex scenes. It was crazy. <laughs> but um, I, I wasn't in that book club. <laughs> He's like, remove me from that. <laughs> Thank you. He's like, I, I am not a part of this narrative. Um, <laughs> But um, I would say definitely what Maritza mentioned, E.B. Zaboy, Edwards Densicat, like you can't be a Haitian author and not mention, <laughs> mention the both of them. Um, but I would also say uh, I really enjoy Elizabeth Acevedo's work. Okay, yeah. Mm -hmm. it, she's just a wonderful, wonderful writer. I used to write poetry when I was younger. Definitely not as good. But <laughs> it was... Um, something that I enjoy doing. So, be, so being able to read a, a, a novel in verse or even when you read uh, anything that she's written that is not of, in verse, like if it's prose, it yeah. still has that poetic flow to it that is just so beautiful. And I truly appreciate that. And the poet X specifically, um, the main character in that, Siomara, she grew up in a very like strict religious household and she's trying to push back and figure out who she wants in that. 
story totally resonated with me. Like it just, it stuck. I was like, oh my God, Siomara is me and I am Siomara. Like it was <laughs> <laughs> like really enjoyed that story. Um, I also enjoy honestly anything Alyssa Cole writes. If it's romance, if it's thriller, if it, I, she could write a grocery list. I think I would still read that because she just does wonderful, wonderful work. Like the way that she makes you care about the characters, the way she creates these worlds around the characters. There's, mm-hmm. It's so believable and the pacing, like she's just truly uh, amazing. Um, and uh, yeah, I just, I really enjoy uh, the works of those two authors. Um, and um, Odd One Out, I would say specifically that story by Nick Stone truly resonated with me. I don't, I feel like there aren't enough stories about young people of color grappling with their sexuality and understanding what it means to to be you and right. not allowing yourself to be confined within this box of you know this is what it means to be straight or this is what it means to be a lesbian or this is what mm-hmm. it means to be bi you know it's just like you are you and you are able to move fluidly within that space so i i truly truly enjoy those stories so what's some of your favorite haitian food dishes um Maritza? Oh my gosh, I wasn't expecting this question, but I'm so excited that you asked because I can always, <laughs> <laughs> I can always talk about food. Let's see. Hmm. So I would say that my favorite Haitian dish is, ooh, kalalu. That, I mean, I know kalalu is like a leafy green in other cultures, but for Haitian people, it's okra, like an okra stew. And I like okay. that with um, beef and... Um, rice and beans and i like rice and sauce which is like a bean stew sauce situation and um most people eat like it with white rice but i'm not a mm-hmm. huge white rice eater so okay. any other rice with sauce and i love lumbi which is conch and i love goat which is goat she took all my food. I'm like, wait. Oh no. Okay. So wait. Give my my what's what's your choices? What's some of your favorite Haitian food? Um. Okay. So since Maritza basically took all the foods, I was like, okay, I'm gonna say lumbi. She's like, lumbi. I'm like, great. <laughs> lumbi is conch, by the way. Okay. Um, but hmm. Okay. I would say I love soup jumu. Uh, soup jumu. It translates to like pumpkin soup or squash soup. And it's a historical dish. We eat it on the 1st of uh, January every year because that is Haitian Independence Day. So in addition to it being New Year's Day. But the story behind Subjumu is that when the uh, Haitian people were enslaved, the slave owners did not allow uh, slaves or Black people really to eat Subjumu. It was something that was reserved for the elite. So when really? Haitian, okay. yeah, it, it's a hearty dish. It has, um, you 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 put like the the noodles in it. It has the squash or pumpkin that is basically blended or pureed down. It has uh, beef in it. You 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 depending on the person, they might add shu uh what shu cabbage, mm-hmm. um uh watercress or different types of things like that croissant, and mm-hmm. um. Yeah, so the idea was that only the slave masters could eat this amazing dish. So when the Haitian people got their independence, you know, the first uh, Black Republic to claim their independence from the colonizer, 
they were like, we are going to eat this dish in commemoration for uh, where we were and where we were, where we are now. And it's, it's a, it's a national dish and we eat it every January 1st. And I love it because one, it's delicious. Two, it makes for a great hangover cure, especially if you've been partying a lot on New Year's Eve. And three, it has a lot of historical significance. So it's like a perfect dish. <laughs> wow. Well, that sounds just like your book. I think your book will have a historical um, a space and history that will be great for young people. Um, but again, but also I think it's great for somebody. I'm 50. I, I enjoy reading it and I learn stuff from it. So thank you for writing the book. What do you have coming up next on the horizon, Maritza? So we are actually going through different story ideas right now, and hopefully we'll send that over to our publisher soon. And yeah, so we can't talk about it too much. Okay, but hush hush. <laughs> yes, but we can't wait to share. Well, please come back on the show when you get your new book. I'm sure it'll be just as great as this one and your first one. And wow, you're getting your PhDs. Um, congratulations to both of you. You'll be doctors soon. Um, how will somebody um, differentiate you? Because you have the same last name. <laughs> and right? The first, and the same first, first initial. initial. Right? <laughs> what did you do in journal articles? I mean, like you did a journal article. Ooh. I'm just going to act like I wrote everything Maritza wrote and that'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> we'll just have everything under the, the same banner. oh my god you guys are awesome thank you so much for again having this book um showing different sides of african-american youth relationships family religion uh grief all these things and history uh all in this one book thank you thank you and thank you all right thank, thank you, you for having thank us. you for having us thank you for putting up with the technical issues i was just so concerned about being recorded but i the whole time the thing that I see the red button on my computer so we're fine and I'll edit out um if the other part was recorded I'll edit it out and it'll you know just be like a regular interview the, the audience won't hear this part awesome <laughs> sounds good so it's no going to be posted on um in January because your um agent said don't post it till um after the book yes January 5th yeah, so I'm, I'm doing the ninth. I'll post it on the ninth on the website. But I'll, I'll send awesome. a little link and reminder that it's been posted to you guys so you'll know. Yay, thank awesome. you. Thank you so much. This was awesome. Thank you very much. You guys have a great weekend, okay? You too. You too. Bye. Don't eat too much food. <laughs> we'll try. <laughs> All right. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning into Saturday Mornings with Joy Keys. I hope you enjoyed the interview with the two authors. I will be giving away copies of their books, uh, one of the good ones. So please follow at Joy Keys on Twitter, Saturday Mornings with Joy Keys on Facebook, and Saturdays with Joy Keys on Instagram. I hope you guys have a wonderful weekend. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. Ch -ch 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 -ch
That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchases, by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.